Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Sherrill. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. How's everybody feeling? Is everybody feeling all right this morning? Like yesterday, man, it hit me like a train. I felt like all this drainage began to happen. And so forgive me if I, um, you know, I'm feeling a little bit uh, disconnected, you know, when you get those allergies. And so I may say really crazy stuff today. I'm just going to apologize in advance. Um, okay, I need, I, need a, I need some help this morning, all right? Actually, I need help a lot. I need a lot of help. <laughs> but I need help this morning. Where's all the kids in the house? Anybody? Kids, come on. Oh, come on. Let me hear the kids. If you're here and you're happy, let me hear you cheering it up. Thank you, Muley. All right, if you're a, if you're, let's say if you're high school and down, Okay, so 12th grade and down, would you stand up for me for just a second? Can we give them a round of applause? We love you. We love you guys. That's right. I I say this often because I don't want you to miss this. No, stay standing, students. Stay standing for us, kids, all right? And students, um, listen, I do not believe that you are the future of the church. I believe you are the church. I believe you are history makers and world changers. I believe that you are accelerants for the fire of God. That's what I believe. And I believe that God wants to use each and every one of you in powerful ways to have kingdom impact and make a difference. Do you guys want to make a difference? Adults, you want to make a difference? Let's give the Lord a hand clap again. And Father, we thank you for these kids. We thank you for these kids. We thank you for these students. Lord, would you awaken something in them that is so tangible and powerful? Use them in a a mighty way. Anoint this generation, Father. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so I need your help. Y'all going to have a seat, but I need your help, all right? This is just for the the kids and the students in the house right now. And adults, we're going to get to you. Let's say, let's say I was going to hand, like I'm giving you a gift, all right? Let's just say I'm going to give you a gift. So where are my students at? Where are my kids at? All right, I'm going to give you a gift, Okay. You have a choice in this gift. One of them is the second most expensive car in the world. The only reason why it's not the most expensive is because I don't know how to read it. I cannot pronounce it. So rather than embarrass myself, second most expensive car in the world. This is what it looks like. It's a Lamborghini. And I think it's a Veneno. Does anybody know their Lamborghinis? Anybody? Does anybody have a Lamborghini? All right. If you do, we need to chat. I would like to borrow it. <laughs> Saying, I mean, love you. All right. Just might need to borrow it Friday. Trying to impress my wife. Um, somebody say $4.5 million. That's what this car costs. $4.5 million. Did everybody hear that? How much does it cost? I can't, okay, adults, I need you to. How much does that car cost? And let's say I'm going to give you this car, all right? It's yours. It's free. You don't, you, you don't have to pay a dime for this car. It's yours. Or, wait, wait what did I miss? Because I had to be good. What did I miss? <laughs> okay. No, the insurance is paid too. <laughs> oh, and guess the, the gas is paid too. Yes, you, you will owe nothing on this car, okay? That's, that's, this, that's option A, okay? Everybody say option A. So are you going to pay a dime on this car ever? 
Do you have to pay a registration fee ever? Tax title and license ever? Okay, it's free. And again, like I said, if you own this car, let's talk. (laughs) That's option A. Somebody say option A. Here's option B. Let me show you. Or you can choose any one of these, but you're going to have to pay at least $300 a month for the rest of your life. Anybody? What do you want? Okay, let me just see a a show of hands. Who wants option B? Anybody? (laughs) I don't think they understand the question. I knew this was going to happen. This is when metaphors implode, right? (laughs) But who wants option A? Who wants that really awesome car? Anybody? There you go. Now she gets it. All right. Now you got it in the back. I saw you. Of course. Why? Because it's what? And it's also what? Awesome, right? So who would want option B? Anybody? You want to pick from one? How about this nice lime green one? That's going to that's gonna compliment your, your, your outfit very well. It's accessory. 300 bucks a month for the rest of your life. Option A, right? Option A. Adults, you too? Which option do you want, A or B? All right. Of course. Of course you want option A. Of course you want... That, it's, it's free and it's incredible. And, and obviously, I mean, the, it's, it's incredibly um, expensive. My, my, my gosh. It's one of, I mean, it, you know, other than this other phantom car that no one's ever heard of and no one can pronounce and probably doesn't even exist. But let's even go a step further. Let's say it's not that. Let's, let's say it's not option A. Let's say it is the most expensive car, which, by the way, is $4.8 million dollars. That's it. That's the option. That's what your gift is for free. Or, like I said, you can, cho- you can choose whatever color you want. 300 bucks a month for the rest of your life. Option A. You know how often, listen, this is, this is what I want you to hear. This is, some, this is the tension of the letter to the church at Galatia right here. This is... This is The thing of the whole letter that Paul is writing to this church that he had planted, that he's trying to encourage, but we saw last week as he kind of began, and we're gonna we're gonna rush back through it real quick. This is the tension right here. How often we settle for such lesser things. We settle for lesser things. Listen, the Apostle Paul, he's a missionary giant in Christianity. Before Paul was, who we know is this hero of the faith, he was a man that Christ followers deeply feared. He started out as Saul, one of Christians' most zealous enemies, before being handpicked by Jesus himself to become one of the gospel's most influential messengers. As a Jew, Saul had the proper pedigree. He had the right education. He was a brilliant mind. He had a commanding knowledge of both religion and philosophy. And he could debate with the most educated scholars of the day. I mean, this guy was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had it all going on for him. And when we first got to know him in Scripture, Saul, he's blazing this trail of Christian hatred and murder. And then he has this encounter on the road to Damascus with the glory of Jesus. And it absolutely wrecked him in the best way possible. It changed his life completely. It even changed his identity. It changed everything about him down to his name. He said, you're no longer Saul, you're Paul now. Complete exchange. And because of the life 
that Saul, now Paul, had been saved from. Paul understood. He had this, this depth of the gravity, this understanding, this depth of understanding of the gravity of grace to be able to literally reach into the deepest, darkest pit and save someone like him. So the result, Paul surrenders the entirety of his life. I mean, every fabric of his being to the glory of God. I mean, he is all in. No matter the cost, no matter the beatings, no matter the persecution, no matter the imprisonment, He's not only an ambassador of the good news, but an apostle of Jesus, one who has been sent by him. He, he became a, a world-changing evangelist and church planter, Galatia being one of the churches that he planted. I mean, Paul is one of, if not the most prominent influences of the Christian foundation and the spreading of the gospel message, so much so that of the 27 books in the New Testament, Paul is credited as author of 13 of them. And look at his past. Some of, some of you may be in the house and you're going, well, gosh, man, God can never use someone like me. You better think again. I mean, look at Paul's past. Look at, his, look at where he came from. And yeah, he had it all going on to the world's perspective, to the world's standards. It looked like he had it all. But truthfully, spiritually speaking, he was completely bone dry, empty until God. Maybe if also you're thinking, this is side, this is for free, but maybe you're thinking, you know, God can never use someone like me. Let me tell you something. I was so deeply encouraged as one of the 19 speakers that I heard at this conference last week said, he was talking about David, and he said, here's a guy who was an adulterer, misused his power, and committed murder, and God still washed him whiter than snow and said, you're a man after my own heart. God can use the broken things of your life and make it beautiful. God can use the wreckage of your past in such a profound and powerful way for his glory. And that's Paul. So as we walk through the book of Galatians, I want you to understand the letter that we're reading to the church of Galatia, it's not like the other letters that he wrote. This is a letter that's got some angst to it. It's got some urgency in it. So let's, let's just begin where we ended last week. And, and I know I kind of breezed through the first five verses. I'm going to recap that so that we can come into um, chap, or verse 6, chapter 1, on to probably 10. So Paul, it says this in Galatians 1, verse 1. Listen, if you don't have a Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you. There's some at the back table. Um, Pastor Dave's back there. I think that's Dave. I can't really see because a lot. And he's got some Bible. If you need one, grab that, please, as a gift. And we have it on the screen, but I really want you guys, church, I really want you to be in your word. And so bring that Bible and get your, get your hands in there. And, and um, I think that's important. All right. So here we go. Galatians one, verse one, Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised Jesus from the dead. Remember, I want you to hear this. Paul here is establishing his authority as he begins this epistle. He's establishing his position. He's establishing his identity. He's separating himself from the other false teachers of the day that had infiltrated this young church. And he's going to go on verse two. He says, and all the brothers who are with me, he's saying, Hey, listen, um, church of Galatia, be encouraged. There's others that are with me and man, they are for you. They are for you. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself over for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will 
of our God and Father. Paul is declaring the gospel message in such a clear way to this church. He's reminding them of this good news. And he's saying this, listen, listen. He's saying, at the pleasure of God, according to the sovereign purpose and plan of God, Jesus willingly and obediently gave himself for our sins. I mean, succinctly, he is, he is proclaiming a gospel message with such crystal clear clarity. He's saying, Jesus willingly, obediently gave himself for our sins. He gave himself to rescue us, to redeem us, to forgive us, to free us, so that you may know grace. Somebody say grace. I define it often. I'm going to keep saying it forever and ever. Grace, G-R-A-C-E. It's the best way for you to remember. Grace, G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Let me say it like this. The fullness of the love of God and all that comes from God lavished upon your life, lovingly lavished upon your life, paid for by the sacrificed life of Jesus who willingly and obediently said yes to the cross for you, for your sins. This is what Paul is declaring. And he says, so that you may know this grace and so that you may know peace. It's like we said last week, we kind of put some definition to it. The nature of salvation is peace or reconciliation, peace with God, peace with others, peace within, internal peace, which is peace with self. You know, sometimes the battle, most of the time, the battle is not necessarily with that other person. We tend to project upon that other person our pain so that we have a place to blame. The battle really is within us. It's that angst within our own hearts and our minds, the, 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 the battle in the mind. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, the nature of salvation is peace. If you want peace, surrender your life to the Lord Jesus He'll give you the gift of salvation, and with it comes peace. By nature, it is peace. It is reconciliation. He says the source of salvation is this grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, free favor, irrespective of human error, I mean, um, effort, irrespective of merit, irrespective of works that you could do. It's undeserved loving kindness and affection poured out upon mankind, paid for by Jesus at the expense of, of Jesus, and don't miss it. Listen, the nature of Jesus' death is indicated in the expression that we see in verse four. Look, it says, who gave himself for our sins. The New English Bible translates it this way, who sacrificed himself. The word, I think the word usage is stronger. And we can look at this in a lot of different ways. We can say, well, this is the ultimate expression of love on display. We can say, um, this is the most heroic act in the history of mankind. By definition, the death of Jesus was a sacrifice for sin, a sin offering. Martin Luther comments this, that these words are the very thunderclaps from heaven against all kinds of righteousness that is all forms of self-righteousness. Once we have seen that Christ gave himself for our sins, we realize that we are sinners unable to save ourselves and we give up trusting in ourselves that we are righteous. Paul then gives a fitting doxology in verse five after reminding this church of good news, of the gift of the gospel message. He says, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. The glory which belongs to him forever. And typically in Paul's letters, um, 
after greeting his audience, he would usually go on to pray or to praise the readers or thank God for them. Um, But only in this epistle to the Galatians or this letter, there's no prayer, there's no praise, there's no thanksgiving, there's no commendation. Instead, we see verse six, and Paul turns this corner and he begins to urgently press into something. So let's go there, verse six. Getting right to the point, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The New Living Translation says it like this. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. Man, these are, this is bold language. So in other words, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, man, what's going on? What are you doing? I mean, you've, you have tasted freedom And instead, you're willingly saying, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go back to enslavement. I can't believe you're being so fickle. What's causing this flakiness? I mean, God called you to himself through the loving mercy of Jesus Christ. How could you desert him like this? And and how could you do it so quickly? He's saying, listen, by the grace of God, you were chosen and you were called. And you're willing to settle for something Different, you're willing to settle. I mean, that word itself, you're willing to settle for something lesser. I mean, Jesus invited you into freedom. Not only did he clear the path for your pardon, he gave his life so that you could live. And Paul says, I'm astounded, I'm I'm shocked, I'm I'm baffled that you would desert him and his gift for you, that you would turn away from him, or as the Greek would imply, that you are, watch this, transferring your allegiance. Any military people in here today? Military? Come on, loud and proud. Anybody? Okay, there you go, Eddie. Loud and proud doesn't mean this. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> you know what going AWOL means? Yes, that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying you're being a religious turncoat. You're going AWOL on Jesus. You're a spiritual, you're a spiritual deserter. So listen, these Christians were not turning to a different opinion or even a different system of theology. They were turning away from God himself. And Paul's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. What's going on? You're doing this so quickly for a lesser gospel. Verse seven, not that there is another one, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, the reason why the Galatian converts were deserting the gospel of Jesus was because there were some classroom bullies. Anybody know Mean Girls? Anybody know any of those growing up? Yeah, right? Come on, somebody. And they're called Judaizers, and they're bringing this trouble upon them. Trouble meaning to shake or to agitate. These Judaizers were false teachers causing turmoil. They were bringing intellectual confusion and causing chaos by developing factions, division, strife. I mean, there's a lot of religious, pharisaical peer pressure going on. Did I just make that word up? Is that, is that a real word? <laughs> but that's what was happening. There was this pharisaical peer pressure happening. And the trouble was false doctrine as these Judaizers were trying to pervert or distort the purity and simplicity of the gospel message. They were propagating what J.B. Phillips calls a travesty of the gospel of Christ. So the Judaizers, they, they had the church of Galatia turning away from God who had called them in the grace of Christ. And they began to embrace another form of the gospel. It wasn't, it wasn't the gospel. See, the true gospel is what Paul called 
He, what Paul called it in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Let's look at that. He says, you know, but I do not account my life in any value or precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, the riches of God at the expense of Jesus. This is the gospel. It's the good news of a God who is gracious to undeserving sinners. In grace, he gave his son to die for us. In grace, he called us to himself. In grace, he justified us when we believe. Justified meaning just as if I had never sinned. He washes it white as snow. It's not the whiteboard that still has the eraser marks where you can still kind of see what word was written on there a year ago, right? It's white as snow. It's over. All is from God. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5.18. Look what it says. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's all God. It's all God effort. It's all God. Nothing is due to our effort. Nothing is due to merit or works. You cannot be morally good enough to get there. Everything in salvation is due to the grace of God. But these Galatian converts, here's what's happening. They had received the gospel of grace, but now they're turning away to this other gospel, which is a gospel of works. Let me tell you how it plays out starting around 1950, maybe 60. In our, in our culture, in our context, it turned into what's called moralistic deism. If you want to be godly, do these things. You exchange one law for a new one. And it played out in the way we would judge other believers. Well, if you're a good Christian, you will fill in the blank. You dress a certain way. You talk a certain way. You act a certain way. You do certain things. You don't do certain things. You never go out with a girl that drinks or chews and dance, etc. Don't run in the church. You've heard me joke about that before. I kind of want to tell it, but I, I'm time short. <laughs> It's nothing to do to our effort. It's nothing to do to our works. Everything in salvation is due to the grace of God. But see, these Galatians, they're turning to this gospel of works because of the perversion and the distortion of the Judaizers whose gospel is summarized in Acts 15.1. Look at what it says. This is what the Judaizers are saying. They're saying, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is what was happening. This is what they were saying. They did not deny that you must believe in Jesus for salvation, but they stressed that you must be circumcised and keep the law as well. In other words, Jesus plus circumcision and keeping the law equals life, salvation. Instead of Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So they're basically saying, you must let Moses finish what Christ began. You see it? Let me say how it plays out in our context. You must let your Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic tradition finish what Jesus began. That's not a slam. It's not a dig. It's a gentle, loving, prayerfully reminder of how too often we can allow ourselves to get wrapped up in a context that is not gospel message at all. It's man tradition. It's ritual and dogma. And it, and it reeks of works. Be careful. Be careful. We're not far from it sometimes. Or maybe it's not even you must let Moses finish what Christ began. Maybe it's you yourself must finish by your obedience to the law, by your obedience to the ritual, by your obedience to the tradition, what Christ has begun. You must add your works to the work of Christ. You must finish Christ's unfinished work. This is a grotesque form of unbelief. And the, doctr the, the doctrine that Paul 
um, is, is, is subscribing. He is not going to tolerate this, basically, which is why he begins, verse 6. What is going on? What are you doing? What are you doing? Greek translations give us an even stronger meaning. I cannot pronounce this word. Hooked on phonics did not work for me. (laughs) But it basically means this. To turn something into its opposite. That's what these Judaizers are doing. To remove from, they were removing themselves from the sphere of the gospel of grace. These Judaizers causing the trouble are teaching a false gospel. They're distorting or manipulating the invitation of Jesus. Church, let me warn you, someone needs to hear this today. Listen, wherever there is distortion, you're going to find a devil. Wherever there's distortion, you're going to find a devil. The Judaizers were habitual troublemakers who thrived on creating controversy, jealousy. They were distorting the truth of the gospel and telling these believers to have Jesus, but also ensure to keep the law and the customs, add circumcision, add Jewish ritual to the gospel. This was a direct opposite of salvation by grace alone through faith alone, which is all God effort. This was salvation equals Jesus plus works and ritual and law, human effort. And Paul goes on in verse 8 and 9. Look at what he says. He enters into some pretty tough language. He says, but even if we, inclusive of himself and his disciples, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He goes on in 9. It seems like it's saying the same thing, but it's saying some different things. He says, as we have said before, now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Like I said, different but the same. Verse 8, look, it emphasized, even if we. Verse 9, emphasized this. If anyone, if anyone. Back to verse 8, it says, if we are a heavenly angel. Verse 9, if Anyone is preaching to you. Back to eight. Besides that which are contrary to the one we preached, and look at verse nine again, contrary to the one you received. And he says, let him be accursed if this happens. Let me just talk to you what that means. Twice translated, this word accursed means anathema, which means divine ban. The curse of God resting upon anything or anyone devoted by him to destruction. So what Paul is saying here is this. Listen, he's saying, including himself in the context, he's saying, if anyone, an angel, myself, my dudes, if anyone should preach anything other than salvation by grace alone, the riches of God lovingly lavished upon us at the expense of Jesus Christ through the effort of God alone, by the cross, Jesus, the resurrection, through faith, or forsaking of everything, ritual, tradition, education, pedigree, upbringing, dogma, law, religion. If anyone should preach anything other than this gospel by God's effort alone, let them be cursed of God, rejected by God, and devoted to destruction. That's what Paul just said. That sounds like it's going to be a fun cover dish lunch after that service. I mean, the seeming repeat of information across these two verses, similar yet different, is very calculated. This told the Galatians that Paul is not speaking quickly in passion. He's very intentional with word usage, anathema. It's big. It's important. 
It's this tragic that the church would turn from truth and life for a twisted version, a lie. He goes into verse 10. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. If I wanted to be pleasing to man, I would have continued in my Pharisee ways. After all, you would have all looked to me as your hero. So am I trying to please God or man? Why would Paul say this? I mean, verse 8 and 9, does this sound like language of someone who's trying to please people? I mean, it seems that his detractors who were already questioning his authority had accused Paul of being a people pleaser. Someone who was just kind of tailoring, suiting his message to the moment of the audience. And obviously, he's being very direct and seemingly drastic with his word usage here. Especially language like anathema. I mean, this is not language of someone who's concerned with being politically correct or popular or tailoring a message to tickle ears. It's passion, very purposeful. His life was to please God and God alone and not men. His word choice was intentional to this cause. So why would he feel so strongly about this? Why would he use language like this, cursing anyone who would dare preach anything, adding to the work of Jesus alone? Here's why, listen. Because the power of Christ was being questioned. The all-sufficiency of Christ was being questioned because unbelief was permeating the church. Because the good of people's souls were at stake. I mean, this wasn't some trivial doctrinal issue. This was something fundamental to the gospel. This was an essential. This was a hill worth battling over. But ultimately, the reason Paul used such harsh language was this. You ready? Because the glory of God was on the line. That's it. The glory of God was on the line. That's it. So how about us? I mean, what do we believe about Jesus and the gospel? Have we allowed the power of the gospel to stand alone without adding our own nuance, our own law, our own tradition, our own ritual, our own practice? Is Jesus enough? Did Jesus finish the necessary work to secure salvation? Are we trusting the complete work of Christ or have we turned to a twisted distortion of the gospel? I grew up in Huntsville, Texas. Somebody say Huntsville. In Huntsville, I called it the prison capital city of the world. It probably wasn't, but there is seven prisons there, like this one right here. Check it out. This is the walls unit. This is where old Sparky was. For those of you who are just into that kind of creepy history, (laughs) I don't know. Um, This is in downtown Huntsville. And here's what I remember about the walls when I was a kid. Growing up, my grandfather did concessions for the Texas Prison Rodeo. Anybody remember what the Texas Prison Rodeo was? It's a big deal in October. Every weekend in October, the prisoners would put on a rodeo. And for some reason, people would come from all over to see these prisoners ride bulls. (laughs) It's like, I can ride that, you know? I don't know. It's weird. And my grandfather somehow got this job that he was providing all of the concessions for the rodeo. So from a young age on, I had a job in October. It was awesome. I made some cash, some papers as a young kid, y'all, in October. Come on, that was funny, people. Let's wake up, declaration. (laughs) And I remember across the street from this complex, my grandfather had a hamburger stand. And I would go to work with him all the time. It's a place called Mr. Hamburger. And, um, We would live into life in Huntsville, and it was awesome. And one day, um, my grandfather had the opportunity to go inside the walls because he had a meeting with someone 
dealing with rodeo business and concessions and et cetera. And, and he said, well, can my grandson come with me because he's hanging out with me today? And my grandfather always had weird, odd jobs that he liked for me to do. Like he was kind of entrepreneurial. So one day he bought a bunch of used toilets and he thought it'd be a good idea for me to clean them and get them out of his truck. I'm still dealing with that at the altar daily. <laughs> this is my grandfather. And so he took me inside the walls unit with him. And I remember as a kid, just wide-eyed, freaking out, like, what did you do? I would never ask that question. <laughs> so while you're here, that's not a good question to ask inside a place like this. So I'm walking around and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, kind of wigging out a little bit. And finally we get finished and we got out. And when we exited, we exited out a side of this, bu- this very building that faces the bus station in Huntsville. And if you know anything about Huntsville, there's certain days, certain times of these days that the doors... These actually right here, I think, if I'm not mistaken. These doors open and out comes X amount of people. And they walk across the street and they sit down at the bus station. So one day, um, my sister was not hooked on phonics either, so she couldn't say Pepaw, so it came out as Bebaw. So don't make fun of me, but we call my grandfather Bebaw because my sister could not get peas out or something. I don't know. So Bebaw. I asked him, I said, Bebaw, what's, what is going on here? Like, what are these? He goes, oh, these, these are prisoners who've just been released. It's like, really? I'm going to walk over here now. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and the thing that absolutely astounded me was he, when he began to tell me statistics of how many of these guys, they're released with, you know, a little bit of money, whatever possessions they had when they came in, and a little bit of money so they can kind of start their new life. Off they go. Bus station, buy a ticket, get out of town. And then he told me, you know how many of these guys go do something really dumb? just to get put back in. I was like, what? Oh, yeah, all the time. He said, I bet you out of those seven dudes over there, five of them will be back in here in a week. Why would they do that? Well, you know what? I mean, it's familiar. It's comfortable. It's convenient. And it's all they've ever known. They got used to it. It just became life. Church, may we never find ourselves in the familiar, the comfortable, and the convenient because it's all we've ever known and it's just the way we do life. May we never settle for anything other than the freedom that Jesus paid to give us. Do you see it? Of course you want option A. Who would turn down the most expensive car in the world and not have to pay a dime to choose something lesser that you're gonna have to pay for for the rest of your life. This is why Paul says, I'm so shocked. Father, we pray this morning, God, that we would not bow our hearts to lesser things. And when we sing songs like praise the name of the Lord our God, praise your name forever, for endless days, we declare, we sing your praise with not just our lips, but with our lives. Father, when we sing things like that, we sing them from every fiber of our created being that you spoke into existence because we are so thankful, because we are so in love with you for what you've done for us what you've given us. 
May we be so thankful and understand the depth and the gravity of your gospel, your free grace that you lavish upon us. This morning, if you're in the house and you want that free grace and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and him alone without conditions, and you're coming to him right now saying, no more conditions. I don't want to believe something lesser. I want only you, Jesus, and what you died to give me. If that's you this morning, would you simply raise up a hand really quickly? Anybody? Thank you. I see you. Anybody else? Anybody? Come on. All right, I see you. I'm going to pray a prayer. There's nothing magical about it. It's just you agreeing with this, this heart cry. Would you repeat this in your heart or even out loud after me? Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for paying for my sin so that I won't have to. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for forgiveness. Take over my life, Jesus. I'm yours. Make me a new person. Let me walk with you every day and love you in every way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing. Listen, if you prayed that prayer this morning on this card that's in every other chair, there's a place for you to say, I've either committed my life to Christ or I'm renewing my commitment. I would love for you to take a careful look at that and and check whatever box applies there and put that in the gift box so that we can reach out to you and help you understand this, this, this covenant, this relationship that you've made with the Lord Jesus. As we worship this morning and, and about to dismiss, we come to the table and we remember he was whole and we were broken. He willingly chose through obedience to be broken so that we could be made whole. He was full and we were empty, but he willingly emptied himself and spilled his blood to cover our sin so that we could be filled. As the team comes this morning, we're going to have three stations for you to come down the aisle and receive the cracker, which represents the broken body of Christ. You'll dip it right into that juice, which represents the blood of Christ. And you'll take thankfully and humbly and receive and you'll eat. Thanks be to God. And remember the sacrifice and let's declare his death until he returns back for us together that's how we end our worship time together if you need prayer this morning we're going to have prayer partners all along that back wall please go and let them pray with you if you just need to be encouraged a little bit and let's just respond for a few minutes and then we'll go home thank you church thank you kids can we give the kids a round of applause they did so great this morning I love you when you guys are in here and let's just respond and worship in the last few minutes we have And then we'll go together. Okay, Sterling, lead us. And you come as you're ready. And you go and pray as you need. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church Podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org slash podcast.